Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is The Guardian. Welcome to Weekend, a podcast that helps you switch off from your busy day-to-day and find entertainment and inspiration in the best Guardian and Observer writing from the week. You can either listen to this as one podcast or play each article as individual listens. Just scroll down the description on the podcast page for the timings of what we are featuring. Coming up, nothing is more important to the country right now than Holly Willoughby and Philip Schofield's alleged drift, and Marina Hyde is absolutely here for it. In the wake of a racially charged backlash, Little Mermaid star Halle Bailey talks about overcoming self-doubt, her soulmate sister Chloe, and inspiring the next generation. And author Kat Lister explores the stigma of grieving partner sexuality and the loss of sexual intimacy. Now, Of course, there are other matters other than Holly and Phil's alleged fallout for our country to address. But this is the one that really matters. Because ultimately, they are us, we are them, says Marina Hyde. Read by Laura Shavin. Philip Schofield's This Morning career is lying in state on a catafalque, and the queue to view it currently runs to 10 miles. Yet still they come. What a testament to the guy's particular qualities. Then again, when the loathed Hollywood executive Harry Cohn died back in the 1950s and 2,000 people attended his funeral, a comedian remarked, It only proves what they always say. Give the public what they want to see and they'll come out for it. To the perennial snake pit of daytime television then, with ITV's morning magazine drawing the rubberneckers on Monday, as former Bezies and co-presenters Phil and Holly Willoughby battled on despite reports of a serious rift. Schofield has done hilariously mad things over the past week, like hire crisis management and issue a statement about their amazing friendship and professional partnership. Holly hasn't. Are they really on the rocks? Yes, would seem to be the obvious answer, with many viewers convinced they could feel the tension on Monday's programme. That said, these daytime shows often have the feel of a hostage video. I can't see how you would possibly be able to act like you believed in segueing from an item warning about Alzheimer's to a chicken tray-bake recipe, unless there was some guy standing just off camera drawing a scimitar menacingly across his throat. But we'll come to show editor Martin Frizzell in a minute. The one thing we can all live without hearing any more about is Holly and Phil's professionalism for carrying on. 
FYI, commentators, most of the country works every day with people they can't stand, so spare us the medal ceremony for a pair who pull in £730,000 each for doing it only four days a week. As for why Phil and Holly are on the rocks, who can say? Or rather, who can say in print? For now, a recap of only the barest bones of this saga. Despite being watched by an average of about a million viewers, the stewardship of the This Morning Sofa is being written about 30 times more feverishly than the stewardship of less important places like the Foreign Office and 50 times more feverishly than the fact a former cabinet minister is now on record saying openly that the Conservatives sought to gerrymander by insisting on voter ID for elections. Yup, This Morning matters, really matters. And the fact that a story about Holly and Phil was the most read bit of news on the Guardian website for a large part of Monday can only be a testament to that significance. Needless to say, I have read every word. But the plot lines are Byzantine, and in some cases, still obscure. Take just one naughty strand of it all. Fridays This Morning used to be presented by Eamon Holmes and his wife, Ruth Langsford. Back in December 2019, it was reported that Ruth had made an official complaint about Phil, a stand she was supported in by Phil's former occasional co-host, Amanda Holden, who stated, I admire anyone who sticks up for themselves as it's not an easy thing to do. There is a tin opener and a can somewhere, and other people have found the opener. Unclear what happened to Ruth's complaint, but when, soon after, Phil suddenly decided to come out as gay, he did so on a This Morning presented by Ruth and Eamon, who were then shown hugging him and holding his hand. Holly was in supportive attendance. Yet Holmes now seems quite pleased to see the pair under the hammer. Eamon presents a breakfast show on GB News and is not remotely bitter. Never is, Missy, never is. Though Monday found him twinkling. I think there should have been a special award for Philip Schofield and Holly Willoughby for Best Actors. Well now, I don't think we can even begin to get our head around all the angles of that timeline. Forget a Jake, it's daytime. Further highly called for perspective came courtesy of olden days polo neck of shame wearer Dapper Laughs, who on Monday tweeted a photo of himself staring pensively out of a train window with the caption, Sat thinking about how ITV dropped me over a joke and Schofield still on there. And a field day too for my favourite future Royal Society fellow, body language expert, Judy James, who comes straight off a coronation rent-a-quote bonanza to pass Mondays this morning and declare that one moment gave Phil the body language advantage in what looked like a bravado fight back, because by the time he turned to Holly, her signals of self-diminishing were making her look anxious and sad. God love Judy. I always order the word salad, and I'm never disappointed. Backstage gossip from the show also tends towards the scenery-chewing, with editor Martin Frizzell reportedly observed foregoing his usual spot in the gallery while the show was on air to instead sit in the canteen with a face like thunder. The Boswell of all this seems to be former breakfast TV side table Dan Wooten, now a GB News presenter and committed prose stylist, who currently starts a new article about Holly and Phil four minutes after finishing the last one. He ended his Mail Online column on Monday with the thunderous verdict on the latest edition of This Morning. This felt like the daytime TV equivalent of the last days of Rome.
Hmm. Like Dan himself, that line works better as a joke. And of course, as a passionate student of history, Professor Wooden will know that by some estimates, the last days of Rome dragged on for 200 years. Two whole centuries of corruption and catamites and caving to the barbarians at the border. Luckily, ITV doesn't face such grave problems. That was It's the Nation's Favourite Cocktail, Phil and Holly on the Rocks. Sickly sweet at first and then quite sour by Marina Hyde, read by Laura Shavin. Next, from tween YouTube sensation to pop star and Beyonce's tourmate. Now, the actor and musician Halle Bailey is about to star in a multi-million dollar remake of the Disney classic, The Little Mermaid. She talks to Rebecca Nicholson about overcoming self-doubt, her soulmate sister Chloe, and a racist backlash. Read by Rachel Hanshaw. Inside Halle Bailey's apartment in West Hollywood, the 23-year-old singer and actor is glowing in the early morning sunlight. This is not interview hyperbole. She really looks as though she is glowing. Rob Marshall, the director of The Little Mermaid, said he cast her as Ariel because she had an otherworldly sensibility. And instantly, you can see what he means. Yesterday, an important package arrived. It contains a collection of Disney merchandise, branded water bottles, shirts, Ariel dolls. This stuff, with her face on it, will soon be in the homes of countless parents with small children all across the world. I was astounded at how cool all of it is, she says sweetly. Like, insane! Bailey is a Disney star cut from old-fashioned cloth. She is impossibly polite, awestruck by her new life as a Disney princess, ignoring the negativity, more on that later, and seemingly utterly lovely and unflappable or at least well-media-trained, or probably both. She offers opinions, but is careful to balance them out. She misses her hometown of Atlanta, Georgia, she says, but equally, she loves Los Angeles. Somehow, despite the imminent release of a reported $150 million to $200 million blockbuster that will ultimately rise or fall on her performance as a character already beloved by millions, she is perfectly calm. The original Little Mermaid came out in 1989, as the AIDS crisis raged, adapting the Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale into an animated children's film that remains a top-five contender in any list of the best Disney films of all time. It has a history of being more subversive than it might initially appear. Ursula, the sea witch, was based on the drag queen Divine, while Ariel's dissatisfaction with the constraints of her life under the sea have long been viewed as a metaphor for coming out. Or, if that doesn't work for you, you might prefer to see the film as a beautiful story about a young woman changing her core identity to please a man, as the comedian Trevor Noah joked on The Daily Show last year. In 2019, it was announced that Bailey had been cast in the forthcoming live-action remake. At 19, she was already a pop star. As one half of the duo... Chloe and Hallie with her older sister, she had been in the public eye since they became YouTube famous as younger teens. Suddenly, there are a lot more eyes on me than I ever would have thought, she says, 
adding that she tries not to think about it. When news of her casting broke, the racially charged hashtag NotMyAriel trended on Twitter. It continues to reemerge when a new trailer or poster appears, with clips or teasers, for example, being strategically downvoted. Given the extent of the noise, is it really possible not to think about it? Yeah, we're all human beings, so if we see anything negative about ourselves, of course it's going to hurt or sting a little bit, especially remarks like those. I expected it, honestly. Her breezy front gives way a little. I mean, yeah. The world we live in today, just being a black woman, you have a certain awareness that comes with life in general. So I wasn't very surprised or shocked. I think it's just the way that you respond and move and know that inside you're worthy and you're here for a reason. Bailey received widespread public support, including from Jody Benson, who voiced Ariel in the 1989 film, and Halle Berry, who tweeted, This means so much. Can't wait. When the first teaser appeared in 2022, TikTok filled up with parents filming young black children, astonished and overjoyed at what they saw. This new Ariel, swimming up through the wreckage of the ship, into the light, was black, too. This is what mattered to her. Because I feel like if I would have had a black mermaid, that would have been insane. That would have changed my whole perspective, my whole life, my confidence, my self-worth. You're able to see a person who looks like you when you're young. Some people are just like, oh, it's whatever, because they've had it their whole life. It's nothing to them, but it's so important. Who did she look up to when she was growing up? A lot of musicians, amazing black women who were singers like Jill Scott, Erica Badu, Janelle Monet, Alicia Keys, Beyonce. Her eldest sister, Skye, had Destiny's Child posters on her bedroom wall. I remember growing up and feeling like I had a lane I could pursue because of these women. They made me feel confident in the skin I was in. Bailey is one of four children. As well as Chloe and Skye, she has a younger brother, Branson. They are all close. She was raised in Atlanta, and you can still hear traces of the accent. When she was about three, she began appearing in advertisements. Little print commercials, she explains. People would come up to my mom and say, oh, they should model, she says laughing. My mom was like, really? Sure. And next thing you know, I'm modeling and doing photo shoots and little commercials in Atlanta and things here and there. Acting wasn't her main ambition. Music took over when I was very young, she says. Hallie and Chloe taught themselves how to play instruments by watching videos online. When they were 11 and 13, respectively, they posted a clip to YouTube singing Beyonce's Best Thing I Never Had and later Pretty Hurts. The videos took off in a big way. In 2012, their viral success earned them an appearance on The Ellen DeGeneres Show. The whole family moved to Los Angeles so that Chloe and Hallie could pursue their musical dreams. Their father, Doug, was their manager for a long time. Though when I ask if that is still the case today, Bailey says it is not. Mm-mm, she says, shaking her head. When did that stop? I don't know the exact pinpoint for it. A few years ago? Maybe like two years ago? The family ties are loosening. While Hallie has made inroads into the Disney world, 
Chloe has just released her first solo record. Beyoncé is a big part of their success story. Chloe had already played the younger version of Beyoncé's character in the 2003 film The Fighting Temptations about a gospel choir in Georgia. When Beyoncé set up her management company Parkwood Entertainment, Chloe and Halle, as they were then known, were one of the first acts she signed, giving those viral covers the official seal of approval. They toured arenas with her as her support act and appeared in the videos for the album Lemonade. Is Beyoncé a mentor? A friend? She's all of those things, honestly. A mentor, a friend, a sister, an aunt, says Bailey. I mean, she's an icon. She's a legend. And the way that she just carries herself and holds herself, it feels as though she's normal, like a regular human being. But I'm like, you're Beyonce, she says as if in awe. Even after all these years of working together, you still feel that way? Yeah, of course. There's moments when you sit with her and she's a regular person, like you and me, she says kindly. It's cool. But then you see her become a superhero on stage. In 2020, Beyonce presented the sisters with a Billboard Rising Star Award. You manage to shine in every room you enter, and I'll always love you, she said. We're going to take a short break now. We'll be right back with the second half of this article in a moment. Don't go anywhere. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back to Weekend. Now, back to Rebecca Nicholson's interview with actor Halle Bailey. Halle was 13 and her sister 15 when they became pop stars. As Chloe and Halle, they have released two albums, though in 2022 they got their own individual social media accounts, and Chloe released her solo album, which Halle is quick to plug. Her album, In Pieces, is a beautiful, beautiful work of art. I ask if it feels odd to be working on her own after so long together. It doesn't feel odd or awkward at all, she says firmly. She is fiercely supportive of her sister and says Chloe is the same when it comes to her. 
She's a big part of the reason why I was able to be okay every time I walked on that Little Mermaid set. She came to London with me for the first month, just to make sure I was okay. She was like, you're good, you can do this. And then she went back home. Their independent journeys, as she puts it, were inevitable. But we're never far away from each other. Together, they were nominated for five Grammy Awards, worked hard, played the game, toured the world. It meant that Hallie essentially grew up in the spotlight. It's part of the reason why I feel so at home on stage, because that was my home for a lot of my childhood. Has it made her more mature than other 23-year-olds? I imagine not many of her peers were doing their homework on the tour bus, waiting to open for Beyonce. I feel more mature in certain areas of my life, she says. Business is easy for her, for example. I feel like a woman when I'm in those lanes. But something so simple as being at home or doing errands, I feel like, oh my gosh, this is a big deal. She pauses. Because I didn't have the regular bricks and mortar way of schooling, I didn't go to prom, I didn't experience those things. So in my personal life, it feels like I'm experiencing a lot of things for the first time. Is it a kind of delayed adolescence? Yeah, you said it perfectly. I guess it's not just errands, it's living alone for the first time. She moved out of the family home three years ago, though much of that time was spent making The Little Mermaid in the UK. Now Chloe has an apartment in the same building as Hallie. We're on different floors, Hallie says. So I have my own space, but we're not too far from one another. Chloe's cat Apollo occasionally makes an appearance on our video call, chasing Hallie's cat Poseidon around the room. She is cat-sitting while Chloe is on tour. Domesticity is a new world. To pay my own bills and keep up with the timings of things, things like that are like, whoa, she says. Or being out at a club with my friends. Is she able to go clubbing with her friends? If I wear, like, shades and a mask, in L.A., everybody is somebody, so people don't really bother you. They just kind of leave you alone. Bailey was asked to audition for The Little Mermaid after Marshall saw her at the Grammys with Chloe performing Where is the Love in tribute to Donny Hathaway. I didn't think it would be for Ariel. I thought it would be for one of the sisters or something. When she got the script, she realized what role she was up for. She flew to New York, where Marshall and the producer John DeLuca talked to her about her family, calmed her nerves, and asked if she would rather sing or act first. I'm comfortable singing, so I was like, well, maybe I'll sing first. So I just closed my eyes and sang the song Part of Your World, and I remember opening them and seeing them crying. I remember instantly being scared that I had done something wrong. You thought they were bad tears? I thought, oh no! Then I realized quickly that they had liked it. Filming took place at Pinewood Studios in Slough, about 20 miles west of London. It was supposed to begin in 2020, but almost as soon as Bailey arrived, the pandemic meant filming had to stop. When it restarted, she found she was alone a lot of the time. The city was largely closed. Everything was shut down. It was almost like a ghost town. I had been staying close to Canary Wharf by the water, I'd said to myself, I want to be by one of the elements, so let me get by the river. That made me happy to at least be able to wake up and see the water every day, 
she says in what might be one of the most romantic descriptions of Canary Wharf ever uttered. During her spare time, she made jewelry and briefly set up an Etsy store to sell it. Then it just got overwhelming. I was like, I have to stop. I can't send all of these out. Filming required her to be in the air more than it did in the water. She was in a harness, pulled up high, simulating a swimming motion. That's how you get the sense of, like, I have no legs, and I'm a mermaid, she explains sincerely. This might be a silly question, but did you have to swim with the tail on? She did not. But, for example, when I'm pulling Prince Eric onto the shore for the first time, I had to wear my tail because it was all about proportions. You know, she's very long and much bigger than Eric. Does it feel odd that the film is finally going to be out in the world? Honestly, yes. I think the delay tricked my brain into thinking, oh yeah, that was a fever dream, that was crazy, maybe it'll never come out. Now that I'm starting to see the trailers and the teasers, I'm like, who is that person I'm looking at? Wow. She feels so much different to who I am now. How is she different? I was very shy. I almost felt like I was, and still am in a way, in my shell. And you know, it took a lot of courage and confidence and and me saying to myself, you can do this. Because I think, as women, we do doubt ourselves a lot. She had done some acting before, Her biggest role had been on the sitcom Grown-ish, where she and Chloe played siblings at university, compared in the show to the twins from Tyler Perry's The Shining. But this was something else. She learned a lot and learned it quickly. Melissa McCarthy, who plays the new Ursula, was a revelation. She comes on set and says, this is what I need, this is what I don't need. I watched her and I was like, wow, you can do that? That girl has got roots down and she sings from her heart, McCarthy told a U.S. chat show last year, adding that she too burst into tears when she heard Bailey's version of Part of Your World for the first time. She's a remarkable young woman. At 23, Bailey seems to have fulfilled many of her dreams. After The Little Mermaid, she was cast as the young Nettie in the forthcoming musical adaptation of The Color Purple. She got to go home to Atlanta for a few months to film it. I guess I'm just trying to adopt certain characteristics about these women that I play that teach me a lot about who I want to be. Given the pressure, I'm struck by how serene she seems. Really? That's something that my sister has tried to pull out of me. I feel like with this industry, it's easy to get caught up in the hoopla. But I always like to remind myself... None of this really matters, she says, sweetly, gratefully, peacefully, with all the warmth and loveliness that a Disney princess should possess. That was The Little Mermaid's Halle Bailey. As a child, seeing a black aerial would have changed my life, by Rebecca Nicholson, read by Rachel Hanshaw. Finally, a woman mourning the loss of her husband was advised to take up gardening. Another was told to get a dog. But intimacy and desire among grieving people is something we all need to know about, says Kat Lister, 
who found herself suddenly widowed in her 30s. Read by Laura Shavin. Pauline and I first met at a book event last year, a small gathering in a London arts club that marked the paperback release of the memoir I'd written, chronicling my young widowhood in my 30s. Pauline sat inconspicuously at the back of the darkened room, and when the Q&A was over, she quietly introduced herself, quickly drawing attention to the section she'd most connected with, the chapters where I explored self-pleasure and sex in the early months of my grief. Younger people like me got it more, she told me, referring to her thirst for physical intimacy as a newly widowed 72-year-old. More often than not, people didn't get it. They don't imagine that you've had a sex life. But why, she asked, and what did that signify for others her age? A few days later, she sent me a Spotify link to an early 90s Bruce Springsteen song, Human Touch, describing how his melodious yearnings for something to hold on to, summed up her recent frustrations as a more mature widow a year after her husband's death. The electrical wires were humming again, but she was increasingly feeling as if she'd been put on mute by everyone around her. In the first few weeks, people recognised that I was bereaved. They came at me with all sorts of platitudes, Pauline tells me, months after our first meeting over the clatter and din in a central London cafe, but I soon realised nobody recognised that what I was missing was the physicality of Peter, as well as the psychic and emotional sharing that we had. The feeling of him and his solid body was what I craved. We're meeting again in a noisy coffee shop, because Pauline feels like her sexuality, in her early 70s, is being silenced in ways she's unhappy with. And if Pauline is feeling this way, then perhaps others are too. When Peter her husband of 31 years, died of lyomyosarcoma, a rare type of soft tissue sarcoma, after a short illness in 2021, Pauline was left grieving for many intimate things. A dog-eared Sunday supplement left out for her on the kitchen table was one. But the physicality they shared was undeniably another, and not something she felt encouraged to share. We enjoyed an active and happy sex life throughout our marriage, which was only cut short in the weeks prior to his decline, she recalls. And yet, when he died, I couldn't say, Oh God, I wish I was in bed with him, entwined together with his arms around me, kissing and doing the things we used to do. One friend recommended she take up gardening more frequently, wholly unaware that what Pauline was most in need of wasn't a pair of secateurs. Some of them seemed quite shocked when I said I wanted to buy a vibrator, Pauline smiles as she talks. Masturbation soon began bookmarking Pauline's days, morning and night, a welcome respite that briefly lassoed her out of her grief. I looked forward to it. I found I could be quite noisy, and I'd never been noisy before. I would liken it to that feeling of being transported somewhere. She was owning her desires in a way she had never experienced before. There's still something funny about people having sex in older age. It's like a joke, neuropsychologist Alice Radosh says on a Zoom call from her home in New York as we discuss these intersecting lines in widowhood and the ways in which they can convince older women like Pauline that their desires should be suppressed. You're up against a real brick wall in terms of making people feel comfortable, she says, delving deeper into the tabooness. 
because we're not often given the message that we're able to talk about this, not only following the death of a partner, but just generally as women and men age. Radosh speaks from experience. When her husband of 40 years died of multiple myeloma in 2013, she was perfectly capable of handling the bills and repairs, but what she really struggled with was the loss of sexual intimacy after decades of physicality with her long-term partner. To add insult to injury, the literature she sought for guidance totally missed the mark. One study suggested she get a dog, another to hug her grandchild. But the one that pushed her over the line was the sage advice that she should visit her hairdresser. Anyone who thinks Bart was anything like my hairdresser really doesn't know what he was like in bed, she laughs. In this void of research, Radosh did what any researcher in her predicament would. She decided to co-author her own study in 2016. Surveying more than 100 older women, 55 years and above, her findings showed that she wasn't alone in what she called her sexual bereavement. Not only did the majority say they'd definitely miss sex if their partner died, an equal number revealed they'd want to talk about it when the time came. And yet, in spite of this, 57% of participants admitted it would not occur to them to initiate a discussion with a widowed friend. Before I did my survey, I spoke to friends, and a number of them said, well, that doesn't matter anymore. The feeling was that that's in the past. What Radosh's survey proved beyond all possible doubt was that this was a myth and a damaging one at that. Sex wasn't a past tense activity, and it did matter. We had such a spicy and satisfying relationship that I thought, why is this a secret? Joan Price, an author and advocate for ageless sexuality, says of her and her late husband's marriage on a Zoom call from California, echoing Radosh's findings, I never heard that people at our age could be so much in love and have so much exhilarating sex. Why was this under the covers? Determined to shake up this ageist narrative, Price started writing about senior sex at the age of 61. Head to her Twitter and she'll introduce herself to you with an equally spicy Glad to meet you, I'm Joan Price and I talk out loud about senior sex. She's been doing it for more than 18 years now, writing books, The Ultimate Guide to Sex After 50 and Naked at Our Age are Just Two, reviewing sex toys and giving webinars with the help of gynaecological props, such as the 3D clitoris she's holding in front of her webcam right now. She uses this silicon aid to help her illustrate the vast intricacies of the female anatomy to seniors who come to her seeking advice. If knowledge is power, then there are many women out there who remain disenfranchised through a lack of basic anatomical understanding of how their own bodies work. Price is on a mission to change that. When her husband died in 2008, Price was faced with yet another taboo that no one was talking about sex after grief. Men and women are being told they're doing grief wrong if they try to come back to partnered sex too soon, she says. We don't stop being a sexual being when we lose someone. It may take a break, the break may be days, years or decades, but we can always come back to it when we're ready. And damn it, people need to stop telling us we shouldn't. Price's tireless advocacy doesn't come without its trolls and dismissals. When I was starting out, I got a lot of what I call the ick factor, she says, which goes something along the lines of, ugh, seniors having sex, disgusting. It's raw and unpleasant, 
and she still gets this kind of feedback. Just recently, for instance, a journalist told her that despite respecting her work, he couldn't imagine his own mother having sex at her age. To which she replied, At what age do you plan to retire your genitals? Why do we still treat seniors as if they're some kind of alien species? asks Price. We're expected to be under a rock about our sexuality. We're expected to keep it quiet if we're feeling it. I say no. No, we don't have to be done with it. Like both Radosh and Price across the pond, Pauline isn't done with it either. She's having sex again. Not only that, it's the best she's ever had. Granted, it hasn't always been plain sailing. Her varicose veins, for instance, were initially an area of embarrassment to be negotiated. But she talks openly with her new partner, and as a result, the experience has turned out to be a life-affirming one. The clock is ticking, she says, and she wants to live in the moment. I never thought anyone would look at me without my clothes on again, Pauline says. But she was wrong. I'm on the crest of a wave, and it's no holds barred. I've always been very inhibited, but now I feel I can do anything I want. She looks up at me with a smile. I can even walk around naked if I want. That was I Miss the Sex. Why are the sexual needs of the bereaved still a taboo? By Kat Lister. Read by Laura Shavin. That's all from us. This has been Weekend, a Guardian podcast. If you're enjoying it, please make sure to like, subscribe to and rate the podcast. Maybe even leave us a nice review. Just search for Weekend wherever you get your podcasts. This week's articles were read by Rachel Hanshaw and Laura Shavin and presented by me, Savannah Ayode-Greaves. This episode was produced by Rachel Porter. The executive producer is Ellie Bury. Join us again next Saturday. Thanks for listening. This is The Guardian. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.